the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. Thank you so much for joining Eight minutes past 10 o'clock. Thank you so much for joining us on this Wednesday, the 12th morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, 2020. It's the second hour of five that I have for you today, believe it or not. No, not consecutively. Uh, we will have Mike Gallagher. You will have Dennis Prager. You will have uh, Dr. G. And you will have Jay Seculo live. Then you will have three more hours of me as I uh, host uh, the Larry Elder Show tonight. Coast to coast, very much looking forward to doing that. Larry's uh, audience is so fun and so amazing. And you should listen. Listen, seriously, because you'll be able to connect with people in other parts of the country uh, and hear more conservative ideas as we continue to try to protect and, as Larry says, save this republic. All right. Um, I want to get, first of all, phone lines are open for the next half hour. I do have a guest coming up at 1035, but I do uh, have opportunities for you now, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. But I want to get a little bit more into the radicalism of the party and a Democrat party as they elected, not elected, they voted yesterday in their primary uh, in New Hampshire, uh, just like they did in Iowa, even though the numbers are very close and, and there's all kinds of questions as far as uh, the, the accuracy and veracity. But Bernie Sanders finished top two in both of them, including a 1.2%, I think is what they are calling it now in New Hampshire, victory over Pete Buttigieg. And we're talking about the radicalism of the party. And I want to give you a clip on that, and then I want to talk about the role that identity politics, and in particular race, will play in the Democrat nomination and in the general election against Donald Trump. First, the radicalism of the Democrat Party, as explained by, because their top two are radicals, Bernie Sanders, an avowed socialist, and Pete Buttigieg, who is about as radical as they come while being painted in a Manchurian candidate-type style as being the poised um 
uh, well-spoken, well-thought-out white Obama, they're calling him on the left, the white Obama, uh, the homosexual candidate who, of course, is going to get the woke vote from the LGBTQ community and so on and so forth. They're trying to paint him as the, as the perfect moderate Democrat <clears throat> to uh, bring everyone together. He's a radical. In so many ways. First of all, he's been a terrible mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Number two, he is a pro-abortion to the moment of birth candidate. He does not care about the lives of babies, even as they're about to be born. Number three, he wants to legalize drugs everywhere. Everywhere. Pete Buttigieg is a radical in every sense of the word. And here's Laura Trump, who was speaking on Fox News about the far-left radical turn of the Democrat Party. Uh, it just seems like it's a mess. And I think most people, they saw what happened in Iowa. They saw that they couldn't even get the votes tallied. It took days to get the results back. You know, the, the party as a whole seems to be in a bit of a mess because you've had the radicals taking over the party. You saw that, that AOC and her group of the, the party are the ones that, that really pushed Nancy Pelosi ultimately to try and impeach Donald Trump. Don't worry, he was acquitted and he's going to be reelected. So I think it's going to work out just fine for him. But I think the Democrats are probably very, very worried about the base of their party and their future going forward. I sure would be. Absolutely. Completely agree particularly as it pertains to that base, what has been a central component of the Democrat base? Black voters, right? Black voters can be counted upon in virtually every presidential election. They can be counted upon for somewhere between 92 and 99% support of the Democrat candidate. It's the most guaranteed voting block in the country. Black voters for the Democrat candidate. It worked that way in 2016. Donald Trump got about an average amount, around 8% of the vote. 92% went for Hillary Clinton of the black vote. So they, they know this, and they have taken that for granted for so long, which is why, with the black vote in play this time around, for the first time in generations, with the black vote in play, Democrats are panicking. Just listen to Joy Reid. Racist uh, host on MSNBC, constantly, constantly chirping at white America, speaking of white privilege, etc. Uh, Joy Reid says the 2020 Democrat candidates, they're not doing anything for black folks. And, you know, what, what I was saying in the break is that this is, you know, this is sort of a focus group of white voters in the Northeast, in these two states, <laughs> yeah. right, in these two states. What I see there is is that the people coming out of New Hampshire None of that, none of those people have resonance with black voters. None of them do. The one who has resonance. Yeah. Right? No, the no. ones who have resonance are Biden, who's getting crushed. And if he doesn't work out what I'm hearing from black voters consistently, if Biden goes down, they're going to Bloomberg. Yeah. That is a fascinating analysis. She said none of the Democrats coming out of New Hampshire, including Bernie and Buttigieg and Klobuchar and Warren, none of them resonate with black voters but that's just one alarm let's listen to another as samantha guthrie on the today show talks directly to pete Buttigieg about his lack of support among black voters you've been talking about improving your numbers with the the black electorate but it's so far 
it hasn't paid any dividends. What, can you show or demonstrate any progress in that regard? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, a big part of what's happening right now is that uh, voters of color who are laser focused on defeating this president more than anything else want to know that you can actually win. Uh, th th this is one of the most unbelievable non-answers that you're going to hear. Pete Buttigieg is good in this regard. He knows how to dodge a question uh, as well as anybody. She said, you're not getting any pull with black voters. Can you show any progress at all? And he proceeds to say, yeah, definitely. Because black voters who are laser focused on beating Donald Trump uh, haven't voted yet. Uh, the process of proving that uh, has only really been underway for the last few days after a year of campaigning, uh, proposing, talking. And that, I believe, is getting us the look that we now need as we will travel directly to states like Nevada, South Carolina, and the Super Tuesday states that uh, have a lot of racial diversity and where we can make that case eye to eye. Our credit to Savannah Guthrie here, who I don't normally give a lot of credit to. She's not going to let him off with that. Listen. Can make that case eye to eye. Our last poll, our last NBC News national poll, showed actually your support with African Americans dropping. So whereas it was at three percent a while back, now it's at zero percent. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's a mic drop, mo drop moment. It would be a mic drop moment if that was Sean Hannity. But the fact that it's liberal Savannah Guthrie on liberal NBC saying that to Pete Buttigieg is a boom mic drop moment. You're telling us that, yeah, making lots of inroads with black voters, um, you know, especially the ones that haven't voted yet. Especially when you get to the Super Tuesday states, you'll see how many amazing black voters I have coming out for me. And Savannah Guthrie says, well, our latest poll shows, rather than things getting better for you and black voters as you head toward other states, you've dropped. You were only at 3%, which is, of course, anemic. Now it's at 0%. Literally, statistically, a 0% support from black voters survey of NBC News for Pete Buttigieg. Compare and contrast that to Donald Trump, who is getting 34% of the black vote, according to recent surveys by Gallup. And of black men... 42%. Maybe that's why, again, going back to MSNBC and Katie Turr, pointing out that Joe Biden's African-American support, which he takes for granted, is also falling apart. Let me ask you about how things look down there in South Carolina. Joe Biden had enjoyed, has enjoyed a strong support among the African-American community, the black community down there, but uh, it seems to be breaking apart a little bit. Look at this most recent poll. His support from African-Americans now sits at only 27%. Michael Bloomberg, 22%. That is plus 15 uh, since January 28th. Bernie Sanders, 19 plus 2. Joe Biden was counting on being the candidate of the black voter. In fact, he said it repeatedly down in South Carolina. Forget about New Hampshire. Eh, forget about Iowa. There's not enough black and brown voters there, Joe Biden says. Black and brown voters are going to vote for me. Again, taking for granted the minority vote. Yet all indications are that black voters are turning away from the lies of the Democrat candidates, including past favorites like Joe Biden, because they know that they have done nothing for the black community. Meanwhile, here's Donald Trump providing criminal justice reform, 
providing more job and wage growth opportunities for black and brown America than any president in history. Let me say that again in case you didn't hear it. Any president in history. And perhaps that's why we get things like this. This is a Twitter um, interview or an interview that was posted on Twitter, I should say. Um, A pitch to black America from a black American. This isn't Candace Owens, but it sounds like she could be. She is one of thousands and thousands and thousands of black Americans who had been Democrat supporters who are now supporters of President Donald Trump. This is the message that is starting to spread. Um, Growing up, you know, black in America, you're told that you're supposed to just be a Democrat. So one day I asked myself, why am I a Democrat? And so I did the research of why I'm a Democrat looked up what the Democrats were about, then I did research about what the Republicans were about, and I realized that I've never been a Democrat. Anything that I stand for, everything that I was raised, my beliefs, my thoughts, it's all towards the Republican Party. And so then, whenever I got there, I was able to get rid of my TDS, my Trump derangement syndrome, and I was able to open up my eyes and actually listen to them and give them a chance. And you know, black people, we don't like to be stereotyped or penalized or placed in a category. So I'm like, if I'm doing that to him, and I don't want that done to me, then who am I? So it just kind of put me in a different mind space. Wow, that was so well said, and I absolutely love your shirt. I think everyone is going to want to like buy one of these shirts. So cute. Well, thank you so much for your time. The shirt in the video said, Proud Black Republican, FYI. But it's her message, not what her T-shirt says, that is important there. She said, I did the work. I was raised to believe, because I'm black, I'm a Democrat. That's just the way that it's been. But then she said, you know, maybe, just maybe, I should not be a Democrat. Let me take a look. Here's what I believe, she said. Then I took a look at the Democrat platform and what Democrats believe. And then I took a look at the Republicans and what Republicans believe. And lo and behold, my ideas, my values, my ideology aligns with the Republican Party. But I've been told I can't be a Republican because I'm black. I don't want to be marginalized. I don't want to be categorized. I don't want to be stereotyped. Let's think for ourselves. And I got news for you. That is the biggest danger the Democrat Party faces today and going forward into the future. A black electorate that thinks for themselves and realizes Democrats have been lying to us. That movement is underway. That mo- And it, it, look, sometimes it takes time. I am not black, but I was born a Democrat. How so? Well, mom and dad were Democrats. What do most of us do? We follow the lead of our parents. Even if you're not really thinking about it, you just do. So I voted Democrat when I was very young. But then you start studying the world, and you start studying your own self and your own ideology, your own beliefs, and you realize where your, your loyalties should lie. So whether you're black or white... Thinking for yourself is the biggest danger that Democrats face. And the Blexit movement, the black exit from the Democrat Party is real. People are walking away, and they're doing so in droves. And that is devastating for Bernie, for Biden, for Buttigieg, for any of them. Back after this. Ten twenty-six onward. 
1420, the answer. Reacting to last night's New Hampshire finishes in the uh, Democratic primaries. And again, we need to focus on the, on the president's side as well. You know, there are Republican primary votes that are held. Obviously, they're largely ceremonial because the president is an incumbent. He's enjoying enormous popularity, a record high 49% uh, at the end of his impeachment trial, which I just find hilarious for a billion different reasons. Um, but uh, we, we need to, to give the president credit where it's due because the president is enjoying unbelievable support even in these races where people don't have to come out because they know he's going to be the nominee. And yet he is um, uh, generating the highest voter turnout of any incumbent in the last four decades. Yeah, you know, President Trump last night had the highest voter turnout of any incumbent in four decades. He also had the highest percent of the vote of any incumbent in the past four decades. And when you juxtapose that against Bernie Sanders, who had the lowest vote total of any Democrat nominee in 68 years, mm. it is quite something. That is quite something. Now, again, that's a assuming he gets the nomination. Uh, but we need to give credit to the president's side as well as we analyze last night's New Hampshire results. Uh, let me get in a, a phone call from Bob, who is in Medina on AM 1420, the answer before the bottom of the hour. Hi, Bob. Go right ahead. Good, sir. Yeah, long-time listener, Bob. And uh, um, it, it's um, a little bit um, uh, like coincidental. You know, our lives parallel every time you mention something about how you grew up and everything. You know, my, you know, it parallels with, you know, how I grew up. Uh, my dad, long-time union guy, a Democrat, you know, and it was just that's the way it was. And when I turned 18, he urged me to vote. Vote a Democrat, okay? And then all, all of a sudden, uh, when uh, Jimmy Carter was going for his second, uh, you know, uh, presidential run, I said, so who'd you vote for, Dad? And then he gave, kind of gave me a smirk, and he says, I voted for Reagan, and I almost fell down. You know, I said, I couldn't believe it. But, you know, he, was, he, he really paid attention to the politics, you know? And so then... Uh, uh, and then after the Clinton era and everything else like that, I started paying uh, more attention, especially when Barack came came into the view. I mean, I just had a bad feeling about him, you know, and you know about his uh, lack of ability and everything. But uh, yeah, now you know it is what it is. You know, I'm a Republican. You know, because of Trump. You know, the most and, uh, important thing, my friend, is that you got there. You know, some people get there earlier, some people get there later. I was a latecomer as well. I was in my late 20s uh, when I really kind of had a political conversion. I just was political, uh, you know, agnostic. I just, I was a Democrat, like I said, and like you said, because mom and dad were. My dad was a, a union roofer, just like your dad, a big union guy. So, you know, Democrat, more of a blue dog probably, uh, if I had to describe him as a, as a Democrat, yeah. an old blue dog Democrat. He would not be a liberal Democrat. Today, he and my mother both would have easily walked away and walked over to the conservative side but the point is we get there when we get there and it's in time to save this republic my friend and that's exactly what we're uniting to do can i ask you one real quick question yes sir, you real know, quick. About, about the uh yeah and I, i'll make it very fast and you can and then i'll hang up and you can give me the answer okay remember when uh, uh bush ran the second time uh the uh, bush number one and he said watch my lips you know about the taxes yeah, yeah. Did he get tricked into raising the taxes by the Democratic Party? 
In other words, he raised the taxes, and they promised him that they would cut taxes, uh, you know, in other areas there. Well, it was, you know, it, that 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 takes two to tango. There, um, you know, the Democrats uh, did indeed want to raise taxes. Uh, he promised he would not. He had to sign it, and he did. He chose to sign it, and there was a tax increase, so he had to own that. Yeah, that was one of George H. W. Bush's most infamous moments when he did indeed sign on to raise the taxes that he promised there would be uh, there that there would not be there. So. Uh, yeah, Democrats own some of that, but so did President Bush. He made a promise he could not keep because, well, sadly, you know, if you're working with a Democrat Congress, you're going to have to deal with that thing. Uh, Bob, i got to run. Thanks for the call. It's 1030 on the other side of the news break. We're going to change gears just a little bit, and we're going to talk about some of the dangers, dangers this country faces. Uh, Tabitha Coral is an author, and the book is called The Method to Their Madness. We are going to talk uh, about this. It is a tremendous uh, um, look at some of the dangers that we face in this country. If we aren't careful and we do not vote to keep our republic, these are some of the things that could take over. It's going to be a wide-ranging interview coming up next, right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Ten thirty-five. As we continue now at AM fourteen twenty, the answer. I want to pivot away from po- uh, politics, not really, but the politics of the uh, New Hampshire primary, to be specific, and I want to talk about some of the important issues that will be decided by what we do with our politics in the uh, uh, very near and distant future. I want to welcome to the program an author, uh, Tabitha Coral, whose book, by the way, and Tabitha, first of all, good morning. Glad to have you. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you? Oh, I'm fine, and thank you for having me. My pleasure. I want to talk about your book, which, of course, uh, I misstated uh, a, a moment ago. I was reading your wonderful essay that was that ran on um, uh, conservative news and views called The Method, which was headlined The Method to Their Madness, in which you give a summary of the book, which, of course, is called Confronting the Deception, Inflamed by 9-11, Fired Up by Eight Bad Years, uh, which is an extraordinary, uh, extraordinarily important look into some of the dangers that we face from within in the United States. So I want to make sure we get every get that clear in everybody's mind the book you're looking for is confronting the deception but you did right and it's available on amazon uh, you, you beat me to the punch. I'm actually staring at the Amazon page right now. Uh, so, yeah, and I'll tweet that out, too, so that everybody knows uh, this is a great place to get the book, or, uh, and obviously uh, uh, maybe one of the only places to get the book. So, um, Tabitha, let's talk about confronting the deception, and let's talk about the purpose for the book. Now, we, some of the things that you talk about in this book, the danger of creeping Sharia, sometimes known as civilization jihad, uh, coming in with um, Islamists, uh, coming into the United States, having a huge influence over the United States government, working with the CARE and other organizations, domestic organizations, but also coming into um, various um, locations geographically, um, uniting themselves in places like Minnesota so that they can elect candidates like Elon Omar, uh, of course, Dearborn, Michigan, and, and suburban Detroit, Michigan, so they can elect people like Rashida Tlaib. This is one of the most um, insidious threats that this country has faced, and I know you deal with that in great detail in the book because there is nothing about Sharia law, which is the law of Islam, that is compatible with the United States Constitution. Can you tell us more about that? Certainly. Well, the book is actually in three parts. The first part is Islam. Uh, they have infiltrated. They ha- they're in our government. They're in our schools. There's a lot about Islam in the books, and the children are learning to the detriment of Americanism, Judaism, and Christianity. 
so there are people that are fighting it now, but it, it, it's a difficult run. Uh, so that's the first part. I don't know how much to go into it. Um, well, in go, go into it a little more before you get into the second part. Let's go into more okay. on that because... And, and let's and let's go into the subsection you just mentioned about academia and, and our schools because it's kind of interesting. Anytime somebody wants to, for example, I don't know, say the pledge of allegiance, uh, pledge of allegiance with the words "under God" in a public classroom, oh my goodness, you can't do that. Separation of church and state. But if you want to teach about Muhammad and you want to teach about the tenets of the Islamic faith, that is perfectly acceptable because of the agenda that has been advanced in this country. So talk to us about the dangers, not just on college campuses to be but high schools and even middle schools and in some cases in elementary schools the beginning stages of indoctrination into the beliefs of the islamic faith are being you know they're they're beginning right uh so if you want to start at the beginning it's only kindergarten what they're doing now is um preventing children from having best friends so there's no bonding if you don't bond when you're a child you're not going to bond as an adult and marriages will be um deteriorating and so the bonding is most important. They're also teaching sexuality to the little ones. They're taking them to libraries uh, where they're, um, the speakers are, uh, I forgot what you call them. Um, goodness, <laughs> I'm running I'm running a blank. Uh, it happens to all of us. No, no worries. Transgender. Okay, okay gotcha, you. gotcha. They're also destroying the individuality of the children and replacing it with group things. They keep them on the computers for a long time, and this is all through school. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, they're getting the information from the computer, but not from other children. They're not exchanging ideas, and they're not thinking on their own. They're talking about toxic masculinity, which brings the kids, the boys, down. The girls are being taught to be jealous of jobs and salaries. And by the way, that's no longer true. Girls are being paid much more. Women are. But the boys are being uh, emasculated. And it's ending up that they're changing, uh, they're going through um, surgeries in order to change their uh, gender, Mm -hmm. sex. Um, And that's dangerous. It ruins them because it's not always true. It's just a minor it could be a minor psychological problem and really not a physical one, but they're drastically changed for life. And suicide is encouraged that way, and they are committing more suicide than ever. Last I heard, um, five times more for boys than girls. Wow. Uh, that is... Um... Yes. That is that is a, a, a staggering thing, and it's true, by the way, because a lot of this is very easily and objectively provable in terms of statistics um, and, and what is being done and what is being encouraged in the schools from a very young age. Going back to Islam for one final note on this, though, um, we, talk, we, talk, we talk about... Um, Wanting, wanting acceptance. We talk about, or they talk about wanting to make sure that everyone feels included. And that's the nature of, I think, the threat here is that saying, if you aren't inclusive of all religions, and I'm not saying that anybody should be discriminated against particularly. I'm not saying anything should be uh, denied. What I am saying is, is that they should not be promoted. And they're doing it under the auspices of, well, inclusivity. And if you don't welcome all of these thoughts and faiths, if you only limit yourself to the faith with which you were brought up, then you are, you know, you are by definition 
definition discriminating against them. So that's the, the fear, and I hope people take away, and maybe they can learn more about in your book, uh, the dangers of allowing Islamic theology to be spread and, and, you know, and, and Islamic law to be encouraged under the auspices of, oh, we're just trying to be inclusive and welcoming of everybody. Because Islam itself does not welcome everybody. They are the only religion that seeks to be the one dominant world religion and that all others must be destroyed. That is something people don't talk about. Exactly, and when there's multiculturalism, it really shouldn't be that. We have to be inclusive of religions and races, but the um, we still have to have an American culture. Otherwise, we're going to just destroy our own country. Uh, and they talk about diversity, and the diversity they use as a guideline is a skin color, a financial background, um, ethnic ethnicity, and that's what it shouldn't be. Um, how can I say this? The diversity is changing the children and dividing them from each other. Um, that's a very no. You're, I think you're right. And 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 what's odd about that is is you know, and I know you talk about intersectionality in the book as well. We've talked about that on this correct. program when when various. Uh, when various protected classes wa- uh, wind up running into one another because those who are trying to protect them, those who are using identity politics to protect certain groups, then find out that sometimes their goals are they run contrary to one another and it eventually drives people away, including young people, as you're talking about, away from one another. And when they are you know, d- divided from their close friends, they are much more open to and I dare, I don't want to use words like cultish or whatever, but they are much more open to suggestive interpretation from others into thinking a certain way. Right. They become conflicting groups, and they're determined by superficial characteristics. So there's race, religion, ethnicity, social status, and the dissimilarities rouse their distrust. Uh, They become envious and intolerant, which in turn triggers triggers their resentment. and I think when you divide the people that much, they turn to government, and that's where government can take hold of everybody, and people start voting for a larger government for protection. Mm-hmm. They're also scared, of course, with um, uh, climate change and things like that that aren't even proven. But they're looking for assistance, and the, the government can take hold at that point. And if you want to talk about globalism... Um, they're out to depopulate the world. And in doing so, when they make everyone afraid of each other, there could be chaos, and the people will get rid of each other automatically for the popular, for the globalists. Does that make sense? It does. I have it, all in my book. Okay, I, and everything, by the way, I have almost 900 end notes that people can look at. If they doubt anything, the information is validated. That's so important to know that everything is sourced and cited and, uh, and, and everything is objectively provable. We're talking about the book Confronting the Deception by Tabitha Coral. Uh, inflamed, the sub, uh, uh, title is Inflamed by 9-11, Fired Up by Eight Bad Years. I want to ask you about that, but let me just make sure mm-hmm. that we have the understanding. You said it's a book in three parts. The first part is Islam. The other two directly are? The second one is academia. And the third is, um, media. So actually, when people talk now about the red-green axis, it was a new term for me. But the first part, which is Islam, is the green part. Right. The academia is the left, and communism and pro- uh, progressivism, that's the red. And the academia is <laughs> an extra one thrown in. 
it's a combination of the left. Well, well, the academia, the academia is 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 kind of what joins the two. To be quite honest with you, the green, you're right. The green is Islam. The red is communism, progressivism, socialism. We just saw a socialist candidate win a primary last night, um, and it's academia that tells our young people today that this is what they should support. That they should welcome the uh, the the teachings of Islam. Of course, you can't do that with Christ, but you can do it with, with Muhammad. And they welcome the idea of government providing to everyone according to their needs, which is what socialism and communism are all about. So, they, academia absolutely should be a third part of this. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Um, Tabitha, I, I wanted to ask you about the fired up by eight bad years in the subtitle, and I'm certain you're speaking mm-hmm. of uh, the Obama administration. Um, yes, and, and I, I could am. be wrong because you could be talking about the Bush years. I don't know because you you start out with inflamed by nine eleven, which happened right after the president uh, President Bush was elected, and then we had eight years of his leadership before Obama's. But tell us what you mean. Well, I meant inflamed by 9-11 is when we were attacked by Islam. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are several articles in here that explain how it happened and uh, how it affected our world. But it was kind of slow moving, although academia actually was there since the 1960s. Uh, I think that's when the hippies came to power, so to speak. Um, and we had Alinsky. Uh, so the world has been changing very gradually, but President Obama just implemented everything he could in those eight years to make some drastic changes. Uh, Another thing, of course, is the implementation of Common Core. Uh, That has changed us greatly. And if you remember uh, all the money that um, Governor Kasich boasted about, that we were never in the red, he had a lot of money, that was all given to him by Common Core proponents, and that would be the... um, Annenberg Foundation, and Melinda and, Belinda, Melinda and Bill Gates Foundation. So the money came in through them, and it really wasn't because he was so, so well balancing the, um, uh, the finances of our state is because he was paid off to implement the Common Core, and it's in our schools now, and unfortunately it's doing an awful lot of damage. Uh, in my book with academia, I... I well, these are all essays I should explain to your audience. So there's a lot of information in there, and it covers um, a great deal more than your average book would. Uh, because I've, I've, Okay, go ahead. No, 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 please continue. So I've gone through articles and anything that seemed egregious to me uh, over the Internet, and I started disputing things. Believe it or not, I wasn't political as I was growing up. And I was a Democrat because my parents were. But 9-11 took a turn for me. And that's when I began writing. And I won a couple of writing awards uh, after that, which, of course, encouraged me to continue. Um, so 9-11 was really the impetus that, um, that made me political. Tabitha, you could, um, you, 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 and you and I could be siblings. Um, we were both raised by Democrat parents, and nine eleven changed our lives. I tell people that when I give speeches at various places, nine um, eleven did. It was the impetus for changing me. I was politically. I, I wouldn't say ignorant as much as agnostic. I just didn't care very much. I voted for Democrats just because that's what I was supposed to do. And it was really wasn't until nine eleven that I became very, very diligent about learning more about our history, learning more about what just happened to us and how it was allowed to happen, and becoming, uh, you know, the the conservative uh, uh, person that I am today. So. Uh, I get it, uh, and I think people are going to want to read your book to learn about uh, what you have learned over the course of this period of time since 9-11 as well. The book is, again, called Confronting 
the deception, inflamed by 9-11, as was I, fired up by eight bad years. Tabitha Coral is the author. Buy this on Amazon. It's 298 pages. Uh, you're going to want to read all of it. And uh, Tabitha, I wish you the best of luck with the book, in part because Thank I just want so good much. things. Yeah, in part because I just want good things to happen to you, but also because I think it's extraordinarily important, the message uh, that you are sending uh, through these pages, and I want more and more people to read them. So, uh, Tabitha Coral, thank you so much. Thank you, Bob. I enjoy it very much. Thank you. I, I did as well. God bless. It is 1050 uh, as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. I've got one segment left. We'll try to squeeze in a couple of phone calls if you wish. I've got more audio for you if you wish. You decide. 216-901-0945. Right back after this. Onward, 10.54, just six minutes of Outstanding Awesome left for you. But I've got good news. I've got three hours more to talk to you today. I'll be hosting the Larry Elder Show tonight, 7 to 10, right here on AM 1420, The Answer, and Coast to Coast through the Salem Media Network. So I hope uh, you can tune in tonight. Peter Kersenow is going to do a national appearance with me on the air tonight. So make sure you are tuned in for the Larry Elder Show. Uh, For now, we'll go to uh, Brigitte, who is calling us from Lakewood. And Brigitte, you are on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Good. I'd like to share an observation, and this has been bugging me for a long time. We keep hearing about people who want to transform America, people who want a better society, and especially young people who try to talk to me about socialism. And it seems that they think that if they bring about socialism full-blown and do it the right way, quote-unquote, that we'll have a better society. I don't hear people talking about becoming better people. Here's, Here's what bugs me. I think people believe that if you create a better society, whatever that's supposed to mean, that they don't have to do anything. And I think that you create better people, and then that's how you get a better society. People need to work on themselves and become better and pursue virtue and pursue faith in whatever kind of a faith they have. But that is how you get a better society. We don't need to transform America. We need to work on ourselves. That is a really, really interesting point. But here's what I would say in response. Um, That's too hard. You know, Brigitte, that's too hard. Telling people to fix yourself and that will in turn fix the society, that's too hard. It's much easier. In a society, a fast food society that we've become where we want change and we want we want whatever we want handed to us as quickly and as humanly possible. Give it to me right now. I don't want to wait. Um, fixing yourself is way too hard. They would rather have the government say, ah, we got it. We'll handle it. We'll give you the subsidy. We'll give you this free. We'll forgive that debt, et cetera, et cetera. So what you're saying is right, obviously, when I say it's uh, it's too hard. I'm not suggesting we shouldn't do it, but that is going to be the pushback. It is just very yeah. hard to say, I'm going to fix. Not, not only that, um, uh, Brigitte, but just the introspection to see what's wrong with yourself. To look at yeah. myself and say, I, I need to improve this about me. I need to work harder at that. I need to, you know, do whatever. To, that that takes an awful lot of introspection that just not a lot of people are capable of, I'm sorry to say. I know. I understand. I agree. You're right. Um, but that is what it's going to take. 
Yeah, I, I do agree with you. It, it is going to take that, and I hope that people take that to heart. I thank you so much for your call. Uh, I want to squeeze another one in, uh, and this is going to be... Oh, no, I'm sorry. This is information I asked for. I was looking at my call screen, and I saw the name Scott. Uh, I wanted to share this with you about tomorrow's program, uh, and I'd, I'd asked for some uh, details on uh, Scott Wilder, who's coming in. Tomorrow, we're going to have a special show. First of all, we will have our normal show. Dr. Everett Piper will join us at 1010, as he does each and every Thursday, and we're going to get his thoughts on a lot of these things. In fact, I bet he'll want to talk about the campaign that we will be running tomorrow. And that is a campaign to help raise funds, much as we have done in the past, for an organization, a charitable organization dedicated to the principles in which so many of us believe, and that is uh, the sanctity of life. Preborn, save babies and souls. That is the mission tomorrow. It is a massive uh, donor campaign that we are running on behalf of Preborn, which is an organization dedicated to, as you can imagine, pro-life causes. Um, we're trying to help provide funding to provide free ultrasounds to young women in unplanned pregnancies. Young women who may be considering giving their babies up, meaning giving them up, giving up their lives, aborting them, deciding they can't handle it, and just deciding to have their baby's lives terminated. And so many times we see that the ultrasound is the game changer. When a mother, an expectant mother, is able to see the life inside of them, it changes their mindset completely. And even if they can't raise their own children, they give that children a chance at life and then perhaps through adoption. Preborn is dedicated to getting ultrasounds for women who cannot afford to pay for them, giving it to them free so they save their babies' lives. And tomorrow, Scott Wilder from Preborn will be in the studio telling us all about it with some amazing stories and with an appeal to all of us to give the gift of life through supporting ultrasounds for uh, women in unplanned pregnancies. So that'll be a big part of tomorrow's show. I hope you tune in for that. And I also hope you will tune in tonight at uh, 7 o'clock right here on AM 1420, The Answer to the Larry Elder Show. I'll be happy to sit in for Larry tonight, and we will talk with our friend Peter Kersenow as well. So tonight at 7, tomorrow at 9, back again on The Authority. Have yourself a great day. Bye-bye. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.